Are you living the crazy life of a sports parent? This is Sports Parenthood, the podcast packed with cool conversations with sports people, coaches and professionals for rookie sports parents just like you. You'll hear nuggets of gold in every episode with your hosts, fellow sports parents, John and Tiffany Bonacera. Look, it probably began growing up playing sport, to be honest. I was really into my, my fitness and being able to compete in a team environment. So that's probably where it all started. Probably wasn't until I finished school or high school uh, where I sort of had to start thinking of what career path I'd, I'd want to go in. Played AFL um, up until I was 21, I think, just in the local competition there. And it was sort of the time where I realised I wasn't going to make a living out of playing sport. So uh, the next best thing for me is probably getting involved in high-level sport and being able to help athletes perform. Yeah, so that, that's sort of where it began for me. And then from there, I went up, moved up to the Gold Coast to do a Bachelor of Sports Science up there. And that's sort of where it all began. Before we introduce you to this week's guest on the show, there are some big topics making headlines that we wanted to discuss. Topics relevant to sports parents who are nurturing aspiring athletes. I'm going to hit you with it, John. Do you think the Tokyo Olympics should go ahead this year? The organisers are pressing on and remain committed to holding a safe event despite a recent surge of COVID-19 cases in the country. It's a tough one, Tiff, no doubt. And obviously, world health is the primary topic that we're discussing, but I'm pretty biased. And I would suggest if the organisers feel that and the sports themselves feel that they can run a safe game, then it needs to go ahead. Well, John, I'm going to throw a cat among the pigeons. Um, I feel like if we had a child, for example, that was uh, an Olympian and and heading off to Tokyo, then I would feel (laughs) uncomfortable about her going. And I would suggest to you that said child, would say to you, you know where you can go, mum, <laughs> when I've worked my entire life for this moment, as have the other athletes and all the other nations in all of their respective sports. And if the opportunity avails itself to represent their country at the highest level and we can do it safely, then it's got to go ahead. Well, the world you, needs it. You know that I'm a fan of the Olympics. I, I remember watching my first Olympic Games in 1980. Ooh, Moscow, Moscow. Who forget that? I love the Olympics and look forward to it every four years. But you know what I'm going to say? I just don't know if it feels right when the world is still, you know, suffering, you know, a pandemic. Okay, the effects. That I get and that I understand, but there are a number of codes, sporting codes across the world that have managed through that period and have, you know, had bubble-like areas for their athletes or held them in 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 the same place and played multiple games at the same venue. And I feel that the Olympic Games can facilitate a similar approach. Okay, well, let's see how it all goes. Okay. We also wanted to acknowledge the report by the Australian Human Rights Commission released last week, an independent review into gymnastics in Australia, and wow, it was damning and confronting. Did you read it? In a quote from the report, Gymnastics Australia had failed to protect the sport from systemic risk factors for child abuse and neglect, misconduct, bullying, abuse, sexual harassment, and assault towards athletes. Well, I think some of these things stem from having a win-at-all-costs approach and a focus on, you know, body image and 
intense physical punishment and, and they were some of the things that were found commonplace in the mm -hmm. report. Um, I believe that Gymnastics Australia will be adopting mm -hmm. uh, 12 recommendations that came from the report, including, first and foremost, making a formal apology. The sad part is I expect gymnastics is not the only sport where this has happened and it's still happening. Well, I think of course it is, Tiff. Mm. Um, look, it's extremely sad and it's certainly nothing and under no circumstances we, can we condone those actions. Can you imagine being a parent, you know, with your child, you know, relocating to one of those state institutes as an example, probably a similar age to, you know, our kids, if you like, and not really yeah. understanding what was happening. And not, as a parent, not being able to be there physically or, to guide them through that time. Or, you know, not wanting to say anything because you made For fear of lose, losing a scholarship yeah. or losing an opportunity. And look, that's horrific. I can't imagine, actually. No, it's completely unacceptable. Mm. I, I think, again, it is naive to suggest that gymnastics mm. or Gymnastics Australia, and of course it's not the only mm. sport that is happening, mm. I think with a sport like gymnastics, the shortcoming stems from the recognition that Younger athletes are smaller bodied, more supple, more flexible, and potentially more willing to accept unacceptable circumstances. Well, they don't know any different. But that's correct. And, and that's where the sport has failed, and that mm. um, older athletes, you know, tend to have more life experience and lived experience and would realize that those processes are just exactly what they are disgraceful well, I think and it's been not acceptable. Well, yes, and I think it's been recognised that the only way forward is for um, independent bodies to deal or handle complaints yeah, of well, this nature. Definitely. Organisation formerly ASADA, now Sports Integrity Australia, I understand that that's their approach. That's how they want to be. They don't want to be the police. Mm -hmm. They want to be a supporting agency for sports and their mm -hmm. participants mm -hmm. to utilise their skills and work with them to manage codes and manage situations such as this and be there as a support mechanism for the athletes and for the administrators of those codes to ensure that they're running the way they should be. He's hoping that is behind us. Absolutely. And I think episode five mm -hmm. of Sports Parenthood for us. Yep. Go check it out. Dr. Jennifer McMahon talks about toughening the athlete coaching practices and the long lasting legacy of these. That was a, a really brutal, it was a brutal episode really. to hear her story. Mm. And um, yep. And clearly this is strongly aligned. Look back to some broader news. This, this week's, week's episode. episode, return to play following an injury is a top of mind discussion in our household right now. Uh, a few weeks ago, both Tiff and I had one child each at a different <laughs> physio on the same day. Uh, and we were like, what is going on here? And you know what? The whole scenario really challenged us as sports parents. Personally, I haven't handled it very well. I'll put my hand up and say that. She's actually putting it up now. No, I put my hand up. I, I got quite involved um, and, and quite concerned and I probably needed to take a bit more of a step back. And that's why we called in an expert to get some perspective. You'll hear from Cameron Ferguson, who currently works in the high-performance team with the Manly Ringer Seagulls in the NRL and has previously worked in the AFL with the Gold Coast Suns. I think the great thing about Cam 
is that he's got extensive experience in return to play protocols and structuring programs to get players back on the field ready to go, not at 80%, but ready 100% to manage the rigors of their respective sport. And there's a lot to be said for that. Mm. So if you're stuck like us, not knowing where to go from here with your child who is perhaps injured, then you'll be interested to listen to what Cam has to say. Here's Cam. I studied at Bond University, so great place to, to live at the time. Started surfing and I started, I ran a few marathons. So I got into some long distance running while studying. So obviously I stopped playing. Have you done the Gold Coast Marathon? Yeah, I've done that a few times, yep. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm really good, but it's something I'd definitely uh, like to go back into, probably giving um, the environment I'm in at the moment is a bit difficult. What's your PB? Uh, I did a, a 3.21 in, in Sydney, which is a bit, bit hilly. And yeah, around 3.30, I think, on the Gold Coast, but... You must have been in good nick. Oh, I think I was, yeah, I didn't get right into it, but it's something, you know, probably looking back now, I reckon could attack it a bit differently um, with different types of training and, you know, could probably give it a shake again. When are you going to give the marathon a shake, John? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you run. Only from behind. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, it is me going a bit that. <laughs> Having worked with youth in various strength and conditioning environments, Cam, can you share some of your philosophies on developing strength as a safety net for performance? Yeah, I have worked with a range of athletes and youth being part of that, but I suppose the, the big philosophy of mine is that um, working with athletes or anyone in particular, really the, the strength underpins your performance, probably by number one, improving the way that you move or your movement capabilities. And then once you can do that or improve that, then you can start developing some resilience and, yeah, by providing challenging scenarios to execute those movements. So that's probably where the philosophy lies for me, particularly if I'm working with youth athletes or um, kids getting into sports or, you know, teenagers on a NRL list that are the first time they're doing a, a gym program or, you know, a elite athlete that's injured, that philosophy sort of remains the same. Can we talk about how you implement some of those philosophies with adolescent athletes in particular? The first way I look at it is sort of if you're a bendy or a mobile type athlete that lacks strength, what you try and focus on there is improving your control through the range of movement that you do have, or if you're a stiff or no flexibility type athlete or or person, I suppose the first thing you try and do there is increase your range of movement in a in a passive range. Um, so that's sort of how I look at it for starters, even before understanding what the demands are of the sport. So you're saying you'll identify let's let's call them weaknesses or shortcomings. And develop those before you get sports specific. Is that right? Absolutely. Yep. And and that happens at the elite level as well. So that's what I do day to day with our athletes. You got to sort of break it down microscopically and understand how they move. I suppose a lot of it comes down to knowing what they need to do to perform or what they do for a job. 
But one, once you know that, the first thing you do is understand how they move and try and identify areas to improve that through their strength training. Okay, so when you're talking about how someone moves, is it something you can test? How does it work, mate? Yeah, I suppose it depends who you're, who you're working with. In my current job, we've got the luxury of being able to implement various tests to assess deficiencies in movement, whether it you know, be on a, a groin bar where you're measuring uh, strength of your adductors or your shoulder strength or flexibility. But if you're working with children or adolescent athletes where the resources might be a bit more restricted, it's probably more of a visual assessment going through different different movement um, scenarios where you can identify weaknesses or, or areas of improvement. Okay, so let's talk about Miller just as an example. So recently she has had been injured on her two ankles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And they're both kind of impact injuries. Yeah, I, I guess they were. But I think the difficulty lay in us not really understanding the mm-hmm. mechanism of how it happened or not really having a clear path of how to get her feeling confident in them, strengthening them. Mm. And, and so we were, we were seeing sort of the physio going back and, and uh, yeah, it was, and, and, you know, not quite sure what advice to give her. And, and then she would come home from school and say so she's, she's fallen over on the ankles, oval. And, so she's got sore ankles. And we just went, go, Going around and around and we in were. circles. So we, we had to take a stance, didn't we? Mm. And we, we said, right. out of sport for two weeks. No sport. Let's, let's work on getting you mm. back to understanding there's no suggestion you need to play sport mm. in pain. It's mm. not what it's about. And so then we're in a position where we're just not quite sure what to do next. Yeah, got you. I suppose uh, the first thing you want to consider when you're coming back from injury is to mitigate the risks of getting injured again. So again, you've got to holistically look at the athlete or the person that you're working with. So rather than just focusing purely on the injured ankle, are you also looking at the knee and the hip and ensuring that that's going to be the safety net for not being injured again or mitigating the risks? So um, improving your movement capabilities through different joints might also take the loading off the individual or specific injured site. So that's probably number one. Number two is to make sure that you are taking small steps forward every day, so progressively improving. And that starts from the acute stage of injury. So number one is probably you've got pain-free movement. So if you get injured, uh, normally it's really hard to move with no pain. So obviously trying to reduce the swelling and the inflammation and reduce the, the pain and then Um, start moving there once you get that trying to increase your range of movement so if it's your ankle trying to bend your knee over your toes more or push your toes into the ground more Um, so measuring a different height there and sort of once you get back to a normal range and then you can start loading that so increasing the strength in your muscles that help that joint move so if it's your ankle, it might be your, the muscles underneath your foot and your calf, and um, and then you move further up the chain, whether it be your quads and hamstrings, and then you get that 
athlete to to move so get him to lunge and move sideways and step off a box and start to jump but it's all got to be in a progressive manner so that that's the big thing I think it's easy to skip those steps if all of a sudden the pain's gone and you think oh, I'm I'm good to go but I so you're trying to break down the movement that causes that injury and spend a bit of time getting better at doing that movement. So, yeah, like, like you mentioned, um, if, if you're out for three weeks or you tell your coach that you're out for three weeks, after week three, you probably don't want to just jump straight back into everything. You, you probably have to manage how you return back to playing. So it might be one session a week and then the next week it might be two and then the third week you might be doing two sessions and, and playing. So You don't want to get back to it like a bull at a gate. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was the same. So yeah, we've we've learned through ourselves. Yeah, it's really tricky. I I think we That's the difficulty of playing club sport and not letting your team down. It's that Well it's you a feel difficult... a bit torn because yeah, you do. You know, and particularly when you've got an injury that's not necessarily clear cut either. It's not like you've got a broken leg or, you know, you've, you know, you, you yeah, well, that, actually that, physically can't do it. And I think that's where we were sitting. It's understanding pain versus being injured mm. or, you know, there's a difference between mm. being hurt and actually having an injury that you can't continue with. And we weren't sure what she was experiencing. I see that with the athletes that we deal with day to day is some feel like they're always injured or they're always sore and then there's some guys that are actually busted and have a and they just keep going and they don't identify that 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 anything's wrong so it's again you need to have a understanding of the individual themselves and then again your program or your system needs to be a safeguard for someone not chronically getting run down or breaking down even further. That's so true. Our biggest fear is she'll end up with a chronic injury. And we're only using her as an example. And she's only 11 as well. So you don't want to be throwing programs at her and, you know, get her on a routine. And But I suppose it's more about understanding what the pain is and where it's coming from and that it's not going to be detrimental. And it's there's ways that you can reduce that pain after you play, perhaps. That's where the frozen peas come in. (laughs) I love those frozen peas. Mate, are there any particular coaches or persons of note that you've studied, you're a well-researched bloke, um, that have helped form your coaching beliefs? Oh, that's a big question, I suppose. I, I think every coach that I've worked with along the way, whether it's through work experience at uni, working with the local netballers or the local swim squad, or even through you know the two AFL coaches I've worked under and SNC coaches that have come and gone over the time. I think there's something you can learn off everyone, and probably the big one is to understand their perspective and what they're trying to achieve from their roles. Yeah, so there's not one real individual themselves but I'd like to think that I'd sort of take a bit of advice and knowledge of of everyone probably more more recently is going down the the path of being able to move better 
which is going to make you stronger. And that's probably come from more the gymnastic strength model. Um, so there's, you know, people, obviously, obviously everything's online nowadays, but a lot of my philosophies come from or ideas come from that direction a bit more nowadays. Can you tell us a bit more? Yep. It's probably more about identifying what your range of movement is and increasing that if you're immobile or, or a stiff type of person or athlete. But if you're a hypermobile person, similar to, to Andy, it's more about being able to control that range of movement and increase strength at your end range. So that's sort of where that philosophy comes from. And, and I think it links in well with team-based sports where you know you need to move in in different directions in different planes and you got to jump and twist and so you need to be able to control the way that your body moves and then make it stronger in in those positions that are specific to your demands so that that happens with a weekend warrior that's just goes out surfing every saturday or a or a or a um you know a long distance runner or a um, child that's in the local swim club or your elite uh, NRL player, I think those philosophies stay the same, yeah. Unless you're on an elite pathway, I'd argue most kids wouldn't have the opportunity to get assessed. Would you agree? Absolutely. No, I'm 100% with you there. That's probably why I'm doing what I'm doing today is because I probably didn't have those pathways or, or opportunities as a kid growing up. So. Yeah, I think there's definitely an area that, that, you know, whether it can be improved in with children playing sport or if if there's a little gap there that parents need to identify that their kids need to um, do different type of training that's more specific to their needs rather than your, your general conditioning classes or, or strength circuits or nothing at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or nothing at all. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, and no- I... I guess we're in a bit of a privileged, <laughs> privileged. privileged. Me, <laughs> privileged position, mate, aren't we? We're probably lucky in a sense that we, as parents, could identify our kids that might need more help in a certain area. You need to do your research as to who you're working with if you're looking to work with a, a personal trainer or go to your local F45. I suppose you need to understand what it is that you're trying to achieve in those sessions and is it applicable to your to your child and a lot of it again it comes down to uh, enjoyment so if your kid doesn't enjoy doing what they're doing then it's probably not what what's best for them so educating your child as well making them understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and that it's going to help them play more sport and enjoy their sport more and swim a faster time or jump higher in athletics. Finally then, mate, if you had a piece of advice for sports parents, what would it be? You know, training in sport is just long-term consistency. So being able to stick to something over a long period of time and enjoy those little improvements along the way. And obviously you need to enjoy what you're doing and understand why you're doing it. So if you're doing strength training or conditioning training, you need to understand what it is that you're trying to achieve in that. And yeah, probably provide a demanding 
yet supporting environment for the people that you work with or, or, the, or your children. That's gold. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sports Parenthood. Please leave a review, share with your friends, or visit our website, sportsparenthood.com.au, to connect. Catch you next week.